Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about a book on the life of George Crockett Jr., a former judge and congressman here in Detroit and a lifelong fighter for civil rights and equality. We'll hear about the example he set for all of us and who's following it today. Then we'll hear about Jazz Fest happening this weekend live in downtown Detroit for the first time in three years. That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. When you think about history here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan, and think about black history in particular, there are a lot of names that jump almost immediately to your mind. Coleman Young, John Conyers, Charles Diggs, Dennis Archer. But what about George Crockett? He was a judge and a congressman here and a lifelong fighter for equality and civil rights. As someone who grew up here in the 1970s and 1980s, Crockett was, for me, somebody who was pretty familiar. I knew who he was, knew what he did, thought he was making an incredible mark on our community. But fast forward 40 years. Years And I don't know that most people know that name or know what he did. Again, this is someone who fought for economic and social justice throughout his life. He grew up in the Jim Crow South and moved to Detroit, where he fought particularly hard to protect unarmed African-Americans from police brutality and to defend labor unions. A new book, co-authored by Peter Hammer, uh, talks about the life of George Crockett Jr. Peter is the director of Wayne State University's law school, Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights, and he co-wrote No Equal Justice, the legacy of civil rights icon George Crockett Jr. We invited Peter onto the show to talk about what made George's life so fascinating and how he was able to continue advocating for a more equal America. Peter Hammer, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. It's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you here. So let's start with this. Uh, Like I said, there are so many names in our history that pop into people's minds when they think about prominent African-Americans and prominent civil rights heroes here in Southeast Michigan. I think of George Crockett as, you know, as absolutely holding his own in that crowd, Why don't more people talk about him? Why is there not more about him in our community? And and what attracted you to the idea of writing a book about him? Yeah. So I I first want to give a a shout out to uh, Ed Littlejohn, one of our emeritus professors, because it really was Ed's original idea. Uh, And the book started uh, with Ed's work in the early 1990s. So we had the benefit of of interviews with Crockett and interviews with Ernie Goodman, 
Uh, and then other work eclipsed it. So about five, six years ago, Ed said, uh, you know, why don't we work together to finish this project? Uh, and it's been an amazing exercise. I've just fallen in love with Crockett. And you say, sort of, what makes him different? Uh, I really think it's his principle of courage. Uh, a lot of people know what the right thing is. Uh, very few people are willing to sacrifice for it. Uh, and he made tremendous sacrifices for standing up for what he thought was right. Uh, so let's talk about what made him such a force, why he was so committed to racial justice and a more equal union. Um, what were the things that, that made George Crockett stand out? Yeah, I, I think that an underappreciated fact is, is he grew up in the Jim Crow South at a time when Reconstruction was still in living memory. Uh, and so Jacksonville had all sorts of, of, of heroes and leaders, uh, including people like James Weldon Johnson and A. Philip Randolph. Uh, so you can think about the sort of him growing up uh, of a very nurturing environment, uh, although it's a segregated environment, uh, hearing about those things and hearing about black leaders. Right? It wasn't mythical. It wasn't unknown. Um, but there's also things that are just sui generis about people. Uh, he just had a, a, a spine of steel. Uh, he was meticulous in the way he approached his work. Uh, he was led always by what he thought was right. And you already mentioned the kind of two twin engines, uh, racial justice and economic justice is mm -hmm. what really motivated him uh, throughout his whole life. Yeah, yeah. So uh, George grew up in the Jim Crow South and then moved north uh, to Michigan. Talk about his background and how that influenced his view of the world and the work that he ended up doing here in southeast Michigan. Yeah, so his first encounter with Michigan was at the University of Michigan Law School. Uh, and uh, he was very clear that, that the racism he faced in the South was not very much different uh, than the racism he faced in the North. It was just a little bit more polite uh, and, and therefore sometimes more dangerous. Uh, but he graduated in 1934 as the only black student uh, at the University of Michigan Law School. Uh, had a wonderful career that took him from West Virginia, where he switched from being a, a, a Republican to being a Democrat and campaigned for a senator. Uh, and got the, the political payoff of, of going to the Department of Labor mm -hmm. uh, and really being one of the leading black lawyers in, in the New Deal administration. Uh, but then he hit a, a glass ceiling. Uh, the next promotion at Labor would have meant he would be supervising white lawyers, and that was just not going to happen. Uh, so he goes over and becomes one of the first equivalent of an administrative law judge at the Fair Employment Practices Commission, uh, where he runs into uh, uh, the UAW leadership. Uh, and they extend him an offer to come to Detroit and work at the UAW uh, and take a leading role in fighting discrimination inside uh, the UAW in the, in the early 1940s. And the, the discrimination that he faces then and witnesses other people uh, facing is, is what I think ends up lighting that fire in him to, to really do things differently and to fight fight against it, uh, which he does, as you point out, from the 40s uh, all the way up through the 1990s. Yeah, I mean, every decade, and that's what, what makes him such an amazing story. So he's fighting for, for labor rights and against labor discrimination inside the union in the 40s. Uh, he's one of the leading actors nationally and, and in Michigan fighting McCarthyism uh, through the 1950s. Uh, he and Ernie Goodman and the National Lawyers Guild are playing leading roles in the civil rights movement. Uh, in the 1960s, and he's actually down in, in Mississippi summer, uh, Jackson, Mississippi, in 1964, running the, the National Lawyers Guild efforts before he comes back and is elected to Recorder's Court and, and makes history uh, in Detroit. Uh, 
And uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting about uh, about George Crockett is that that in that early period in the forties, um, uh, he, he founds a law firm, and it's a different kind of law firm. It's a it's a law firm that uh, that looks different from others. Talk about uh, talk about why. Yeah. So first, the 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 that he was. A victim of Walter Ruther's purge inside the UAW, mm-hmm. right? So his his good work there is is come artificially short. Uh, and again, that was a matter of principle, and it was a dispute he had with Ruther about uh, requiring a non discrimination provision in the GM uh, uh, contract, and and Ruther didn't do that, right? But but so he gets kicked out, but he's not the only one kicked out. So Marie Sugar, uh, Ernie Goodman get kicked out, uh, and Ernie Goodman and George Crockett found in 1951 the first. Uh, integrated law firm uh, in the country, right? Uh, Goodman, Crockett, Eden, and Robb. Uh, and they become the sort of base uh, in which they're doing civil rights work that's uh, uh, cross-subsidized by work on, on pioneering work on, on workman's comp and pioneering work on, on products liability uh, to subsidize the work that they're going to be doing on civil rights. Uh, and so you can't talk about Crockett without talking about Goodman, uh, and you can't talk about Goodman without talking about Crockett. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also uh, t- has a role in pushing back against the anti-communist fervor of the 1950s. And that brings him into contact with another really important Detroiter, Coleman Young. Talk about what he does there. Yeah. So so uh, Crockett was part of the national team defending the, the leadership of the U.S. Communist Party in the United States versus Dennis. Uh, who were really being convicted by what they thought uh, and what they said and not what they did. Uh, and when he comes back after that trial, uh, he's facing contempt course. He's, he's, he's sentenced to criminal contempt to go to jail for that work, but it doesn't stop him from doing the work. Uh, so he's fighting disbarment. He's still fighting for people's rights. He's representing people in front of the, the House Americans House American Activities Committee. Uh, and one of the people he's representing is, is a labor leader uh, named Coleman Young. Uh, and uh, Coleman Young is a force of nature without Crockett, but you can sort of imagine, and there's pictures in the book of, 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 of both of them at the witness table, you know, Crockett the lawyer and Coleman Young, uh, who's being uh, interrogated. Uh, and, and I think most of your listeners, many of your listeners, knows the story of, of, of Coleman Young really just flipping the hearing mm-hmm. uh, and, and really putting the, the Congress on trial. Uh, and uh, thankfully, that was recorded for posterity and, and actually pressed into a record that became incredibly popular on the streets of Detroit. Uh, but I always love that image of, of, of Young uh, and Crockett sitting mm. at that table. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking with uh, Peter Hammer. He is a director of the Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights at the Wayne State University Law School. And most recently, he's the co-author of a book called No Equal Justice, The Legacy of Civil Rights Icon George Crockett Jr. We are talking about Crockett, who was uh, a judge and a congressman here in Southeast Michigan, but also just a lifelong fighter for uh, equality and for justice. I want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Call and tell us if you have memories of George Crockett and the work that he did uh, to distinguish himself and to better our community here in Detroit and Southeast Michigan. Uh, what what are those memories? What are the things that you think of when you hear that name? Also, uh, give us a call and talk about uh, the heroes that you have in other ways here in Southeast Michigan. As I said in the open, George Crockett's name, I think, stands among so many other folks uh, who did remarkable things and made life better for 
those of us who are here today uh, by making great sacrifices and standing up against injustice. Uh, who are the people that you think of when you think about all that work uh, and all of the things that we benefit from because of it. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation that way. Uh, Peter, uh, George became really active in the National Lawyers Guild in Detroit. Uh, Talk about what that was and what was so influential about his work there. Yeah, so the National Lawyers Guild was one of the few integrated national bar associations. Uh, and Crockett and, and Goodman played leading roles in that. Uh, and they, again, took principled stances that, that they didn't purge their leadership uh, during the Red Scare, as even the ACLU and, and other organizations were doing. Um, but what, what they were committed to doing was, was getting lawyers from the North uh, to do the frontline civil rights work uh, uh, representing people in the South, because uh, no white lawyers in the South were going to do it, and there weren't enough black lawyers to, to, to do all the work. Um, so they actually reorganized the National Lawyers Guild and focused it for a number of years to be exclusively focused on uh, defending uh, civil rights workers in the South. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I love this image, and not many people know it, uh, that so much of the important legal work for the, the movement was actually happening in Detroit. Hmm. Uh, and that connection is highlighted in the book. Yeah. Uh, he's also, as a judge, somewhat famous for a decision he made uh, about the officer-involved shooting at the New Bethel Baptist Church. And boy, we're going back uh, into deep Detroit history by even mentioning that shooting. But talk about that decision and and how it fits into this legacy that he, he forges for himself, but also how that incident uh, marks Detroit and and the civil rights struggle here uh, really, really, I mean, just uh, it's one of the incidents that I think really defines that time in, in Detroit. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and, and you really hope that young people are listening because they got to know this history. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to set the stage for your for your listeners, uh, think about 1969, uh, two years after the rebellion took place because of a mass arrest. Right? And the Republic of New Africa, which is a black separatist group, uh, was holding their second annual anniversary of, of, of meetings uh, at C.L. Franklin's church, Aretha Franklin's father, uh, the New Bethel Baptist Church. Uh, and there were so many informants there, they were probably tripping over each other. Uh, so this is under heavy surveillance. Uh, but somehow the two people that didn't know it was being surveilled were the two police officers in a, in a scout car uh, who are, are driving by and seeing... Uh, a bunch of, of, of armed and, and uniformed uh, uh, guard, honor guard uh, for the National Republic of New Africa, uh, escorting Milton Henry out uh, to his car uh, mm-hmm. as the meeting was breaking up. Uh, and there's an altercation uh, between the, the, the Republic of New Africa and, and the police. Uh, sadly, one police officer is killed, another is shot. Uh, and literally within minutes, Right, scores of police officers show up because the meeting again was under surveillance, uh, and they invade the church with guns blazing. And it's really amazing that nobody got killed. Uh, and then again, two years after the rebellion, uh, arrest 140 some men, women, and children mm-hmm. uh, uh, from the basement of the church uh, and take them down to the first precinct. Right. So C. L. Franklin and Jimmy Del Rio, a state senator, uh, are knocking on Crockett's door. Uh, you know, a little after five o'clock on a Sunday morning. 
Uh, and within about an hour, right, Crockett is down at the police station with a habeas corpus petition in hand uh, <laughs> and demanding that the police set up space in the police station, police precinct, uh, to hold court hearings. Uh, and Crockett is forcing the prosecutor and the police to, to present evidence that these people had committed a crime, uh, and they couldn't, right? So he starts to release them, uh, and the prosecutor goes crazy. Uh, uh, Crockett holds him in contempt of, of court. They reconvene at recorder's court in the afternoon, and the process continues. Uh, and by the end of the day, Crockett has released uh, uh, everyone but two folks where the police have some pretty scant evidence that they had committed a crime, uh, and the next day, you would think that the headline would be uh, Black Separatist Group Kills Police Officer, uh, but the headline became, uh, you know, Black Judge Enforces Constitutional Rights and Protects <laughs> Black Citizens, uh, and all hell breaks loose, right? And there's all sorts of important uh, uh, backlash and, and, and politics that grow out of that new Bethel incident. Yeah, uh, and, and it's worth kind of pausing there to talk about how unusual it was in the city at that time to even have an African-American judge. I mean, this is the late 1960s and uh, black political power is starting to coalesce really. And, and then in the next decade or, or so, we'll really see it blossom. But it, it, the fact that he was there and the fact that he could, again, push for that kind of justice was it was it was not something you could just take for granted in the city at that time. No, and, and people need to know the history of Recorder's Court. Uh, it was a criminal court that was uh, for Detroit only, mm -hmm. uh, which meant the judicial elections were from the city and not from the county, uh, which opened the door uh, for black judges, uh, even if it was only a crack, uh, and that jurors came uh, from uh, Detroit rather yep. than the county. So a really important institution uh, that enabled somebody like Crockett to, to get on the bench. Uh, but when he got on the bench, uh, he used that power. He really understood the, the, the power, uh, the differential power, and ironically, that a lot of people don't suspect, of the trial court judge uh, and the discretion that the trial court has to, to do justice. Uh, and he used that power, right? So importantly, if we go back to New Bethel, uh, there was a huge white backlash. Uh, within uh, of days, the, the, the governor's calling for his impeachment. The mayor's calling for his impeachment. Uh, there are Senate resolutions being passed calling for his impeachment. Uh, and that triggers the Black United Front, right? A really uh, 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 interesting coalition of all Black factions in Detroit uh, who are often not united. Uh, and they rally behind Crockett, right? And they're there to defend Crockett. And it's not an overstatement to say that that Black United Front uh, and the power of that unity and solidarity that was created over New Bethel uh, played an instrumental role in, in, in facilitating Coleman Young, who again is an independent force of nature, mm -hmm. uh, to become the first Black mayor. Mm -hmm. I think you can draw a line right between those two, the reaction to New Bethel, uh, the black solidarity and the rise of Coleman Young uh, in terms of uh, being elected mayor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the program that way. Let's go to Chris in Detroit. Chris, what's on your mind? Um, so talking about, <clears throat> talk about um, Judge Crockett, I remember as a kid meeting him. So my, mo my mom always made it a deal for us to meet some of our, our um our local people, and she she just took she took she knew where he lived, and she knew she had a relationship with him. And he he met us, and he was just so nice. He was like <laughs> one of the nicest. Well, he's one of the nicest politicians I've ever met. Yeah, and that was it's something that's always stuck with me. That's why I'm pretty mad when they got rid of his school. Yeah, no, that's right. There used to be a 
a George Crockett Academy. I'm not sure uh, what what actually happened with that, but but you're right. Uh, there there isn't a whole lot around town that is named for for George Crockett. It's probably one of the reasons that I don't think as many people know about him as know about some of the others. But Chris, that's a that's a great story, and and the idea of your mom deciding, hey, I, I'm gonna take my son over to meet this person because uh, it's somebody I think will inspire him uh, is, is a really, that's a really sweet story. Thanks very much. Let's go to Marianne in Detroit. Marianne, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Hey. Um, I was just calling about one of the people that I really was impressed with Detroit city council was Marianne Mahaffey uh-huh. and all she did to um, promote in her commitment for women's issues, racial um, justice and always fighting for the underrepresented and the underserved. And um, I was really, um, I'm a Marianne too, but he <laughs> developed the first uh, rape kit uh, crisis center. So yep. I thought that was very important in her term. And I just thought she was a great leader for our city. Yeah. Yeah. No, Marianne Mahaffey was, of course, uh, an incredible force uh, on city council for, for many, many years here in, in Detroit and is somebody who also, I think, inspired lots of folks uh, in terms of uh, just thinking about what justice and equality look like um, in in Detroit. Uh, Peter, I, I do want to talk about why more isn't said or memorialized, I guess, about about George Crockett. Uh, what, what What is the what is the impediment to that, I guess, here here in Detroit? We don't have a lot of things that, that commemorate it. Yeah, no, and it really is a shame. Um, but it's, a, it's part of a larger picture where, where a lot of black history is not recorded. Uh, and, you know, there, there's already a biography about Sugar, and there's already a biography about Goodman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so one of the things that was really important to us is to make sure this story is at least preserved. Um, but it, the thing I really want to stress is that Crockett speaks to issues of our time. Uh, if you are, and the book includes lengthy quotes, mm-hmm. so, the, the, so the reader really gets a sense of his voice uh, and his personality. Um, but I really think young people need this story, uh, and we're working with the school districts uh, in Wayne, in Oakland, in Detroit, uh, to try to get this story into the curriculum so people can start hearing this story. Um, and there's sometimes that you need a voice from another time talking about racism, mm-hmm. talking about injustice, talking about police brutality, the same issues that young people care about today. Uh, and this is a hero that Detroiters need. Uh, and I think it's a hero particularly that young Detroiters need uh, to really say that they coming out of Detroit can stand up and make a difference uh, around the very issues that they care most about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I should also say before we have to end that George Crockett Academy, according to Google, is still go- uh, alive and going. It is uh, 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 still a K-8 to uh, elementary school, public charter school here in the city of Detroit. So we do have that uh, as a way yeah. of, of remembering George. Okay, uh, George, yeah, George would be upset if we didn't say that there's another famous Crockett that doesn't get the, the, the history that she deserves. Yes. Uh, and that his wife, yes. uh, Ethelene Crockett, uh, was a force of nature and, and, and a pioneer physician on her own. Uh, and so it's a wonderful example, just like Judge Keith and his wife, where mm-hmm. you have these of, of, of couples that re- really support each other uh, and probably could not have done nearly what they did without that kind of, of partnership. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Peter, that's maybe your next book, The Ethylene Crockett <laughs> <laughs> Story, right? Uh, Peter Hammer, always great to have you here on Detroit Today, and congratulations uh, on the book. Thanks so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah.
Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to talk about one of my favorite events every year here in the city of Detroit. I'm talking about Jazz Fest, which is back live in downtown Detroit this weekend for the first time since the pandemic. Lots of buzz and excitement about the return of Jazz Fest. Uh, We're going to talk with Chris Collins, who is the artistic director of the Detroit Jazz Fest, and we are going to meet one of the youngest performers ever at Jazz Fest, Anissa Anissa Lee, who is going to perform Saturday at the festival. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. There's nothing better than enjoying the Detroit Jazz Festival live in person in downtown Detroit. The beauty of Campus Martius and Hart Plaza, the river, the people, the music. But if you can't get there in person, listening to the Detroit Jazz Festival on WDET is the next best thing. We proudly partner with the Jazz Festival to make sure you don't miss a beat. It's what we do. WDET brings the world to you. It's part of our public service nonprofit mission. We look out for you, and we hope you value what we do and you will look out for us. If you appreciate what we do, become a member of WDET. Join us at WDET.org. Together, we're Detroit's listener-supported public radio station, WDET. When you donate your old car to WDET, all of the music shows you love are fueled by your support. Donate your car and get the process rolling now at WDET.org slash cars. This is Detroit Today. On 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Today, the Detroit Jazz Festival kicks off in several places in downtown Detroit. Now, this is the world's largest free jazz festival, and it is entering its 42nd year celebrating the rich history of jazz music, both within Detroit and worldwide. And it features performances from world-renowned local and international artists over the course of the Labor Day weekend. But... It is, of course, just it is such an exquisite event, and it is one of my favorite things that happens here in the city of Detroit. It reminds us of why jazz is so important to the city and all of us as a community. It is able to seamlessly connect generations here, past, present, and future. It connects people from across broad spectrums of musicology and culture and interest. And if you have never gone downtown on Labor Day weekend to experience it, you are really missing out on one of the signature ways that you can connect with Detroiters and the world. 
I am so excited that uh, we are back to a live jazz festival after several years of disruption during the pandemic where the festival went on, but it had to be largely digital and virtual because we couldn't gather. But starting today, we are all headed back downtown to be part of the 42nd uh, Jazz Fest to help talk about what we are going to experience and why it's so important. We've got uh, two folks with us who are a big part of this. Chris Collins is a jazz artist, a professor and director of jazz studies at Wayne State University, and he was appointed artistic director for the Jazz Fest in 2011 and currently serves as the president of the Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation. Chris, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Oh, great to be here, Stephen. Thanks for doing it. Thanks to WDET, and thanks to all the folks of Detroit who helped to make this 43-year-old tradition all the specialness that it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also joining us is Anissa Leah, who is a singer and songwriter from Detroit, who is going to make her first appearance at the Jazz Fest on Saturday. She is just 17 years old. Anissa, welcome to Detroit Today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. It's yeah. such an honor. Yeah, it's great to have you here, too. So, uh, Chris, let's start with this. First time since the pandemic that we're all going to gather again downtown, outdoors and indoors and all over the place to experience the Jazz Fest. Talk about why the Jazz Fest means so much here and why being live and together is such an important part of it. Indeed. You know, jazz music, one of the definitive elements is it is a community event. It is about collaboration, communication, and spontaneous interaction. And not only on the bandstand, but off the bandstand at the Detroit Jazz Festival, presented by Quicken Loans, uh, sorry, presented by Rocket Mortgage again this year, thank goodness. And uh, it brings us all together as a community around a music that is has a unique symbiotic relationship with our city and our culture. Detroit has fed jazz for decades, and jazz has helped shape who we are here in this part of the country and really uh, through, throughout the country in general. So to do it live in person allows not only the artists to have that level of intimate interaction, but also allows people from communities around the globe to gather and share in the excitement. And you see, you see cats who've never met families high-fiving each other because of a wonderful moment on stage. There's a great joy. And as one journalist said, it's, it's something of a spiritual experience here at the Detroit Jazz Fest. So whether people are taking advantage of our online stuff that we'll talk about later or the uh, or they're here in person with the other 325 to 50,000 people that'll be here, they'll be part of one of the largest listening jazz audiences for an event of this type. It's really quite a global, amazing, exciting event for our city, for our artists, and for, uh, for our entire community. Yeah, yeah. So um, talk about the highlights for this jazz festival. Every year, I'm always blown away by who you're able to get to come do this. I mean, we always have these great, great, great headliners. But then there's also uh, people that I've never heard of before or don't know as much about who are part of it. And if you go see them, it just blows your mind what (laughs) what they're doing and the kind of music that they're creating. It's such a, I mean, it's such an eclectic, festival these days and and I'm always I'm always again just a, kind of a gog at what you're able to to put together so tell us what uh, what we're what we're going to 
what we're going to see and hear and experience this weekend. You got it. Well, in addition to being the largest free jazz festival in the world, we're also cited as one of the greatest jazz festivals globally, and that's because Detroit Jazz Festival, in addition to keeping it free and available to everyone, we uh, we work to be uh, you know one of the most important festivals in jazz. Jazz, the art. We don't do a lot of the fringe musics we don't do, uh, but what we do do is seek out artists from around the world that bring new and exciting perspectives to the art of jazz, and it shows, as you suggest, the diversity and the plethora of variations of what jazz, real jazz, is. Mm-hmm. And to that note, we, we always work uh, very hard to be competitive uh, in our artist fees and things, so we, we can get those great legacy artists like our artist of residence, Chucho Valdez, godfather of Cuban jazz, and, and uh, Diane Reeves, and Joe Lovano, and Bill Frizzell, and John Schofield, you know, all the, the people that you may know. And then, um, you know, as a musician, whether I'm working with people, whether I'm hearing them around the world, we have an open submission process from February for June, so everyone can submit. I want to hear what everyone's doing as much as I can. So a lot of processes to make sure that, uh, you know, I, I know what's going on, what's a special year for an artist, and quite frankly, to have the opportunity to hear and uh, appreciate and, and get excited about a new artist like Anissa right here in our own community and uh, finding uh, the right place to put her to celebrate her abilities and uh, the, the, the effort she's put into her art and craft, and mm-hmm. then to share that with Detroiters and with the world. That is the magic formula. So something for everyone, all generations. Theo Croker's playing with with uh, Gary Bartz, and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, you have those mixed uh, mentorship-type uh, things going on, along with many of our youth uh, uh, ensembles and universities doing some special things, like Wayne State with uh, with Alvin Waddles on Saturday. So, I mean, it's, it's about all of us, all generations, all families, all around the world. And it's seeking out that talent is a year-round process that I embrace wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a bit, that's such a big part of why Jazz Fest matters so much here in the city is that it's not just about Labor Day weekend. That's when we all get to enjoy the music and the culture and the exchange. But uh, all year, you guys are working to just kind of preserve the whole idea of jazz and its importance, mostly by working with with young people uh, here in the city and, and making sure they have opportunity to explore and learn and, and become part of that culture. And speaking of that, we do have Anissa Leah here with us. Uh, she is a 17-year-old singer and songwriter who is performing Saturday at the Detroit Jazz Fest. Uh, Anissa, uh, tell us how you got your start in music and how you came to love jazz. Well, ever since I was five years old, I listened to all different genres of music, but as soon as I came across jazz, I instantly fell in love. I fell in love with the greats like Dinah Washington, Billie Holiday, Peggy Lee, Ella Fitzgerald, (laughs) so really just taking a grasp and absorbing who they are as musicians, and I wanted to pursue a career out of it. And uh, talk about how you got uh, the opportunities to, here in Detroit to learn to be a musician and to kind of get into jazz music and that and that and that culture. There, there are lots of things about Detroit that I think make that a different experience than people have other places. Yes, I agree one hundred percent with you. And 
um, really just meeting the right people. And um, I've had so many great vocal coaches in the past, but really my mom was one of my vocal coaches who helped me pursue and inspired me in my music career. And I think being in the Detroit scene and experiencing Motown and jazz, um, you really have a great understanding and, you know, you surround yourself with the greats and you become your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're talking about the Jazz Fest, which is this weekend in downtown Detroit. Uh, we're talking with Chris Collins, who is the artistic director and uh, the person who really puts all of this together every year uh, in downtown Detroit. Also with us is uh, Anissa Leah, who is a 17-year-old singer and songwriter who's performing Saturday at the Detroit Jazz Fest. We want to hear from you. Are you somebody who is headed downtown this weekend for Jazz Fest? What is it about Jazz Fest that keeps you coming back? And are you someone who just loves jazz? Tell us what you love about it. Are you someone who just loves the city and events like this that bring people from all over the world to Detroit? Uh, tell us what that's like. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313 577 that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation. I want to play just a little bit of uh, Anissa's work. Uh, the title of this tune is Misery. That is Anissa Leah, who is one of the artists performing at the Detroit Jazz Festival this weekend. I, I, I got to stop right there and say that voice, a 17-year-old with that voice, my goodness. I mean, that is incredible. Talk about uh, that song and that style of music and what what attracts you to it uh, you you talked about ella fitzgerald and diana washington peggy lee is the jazz performers you fell in love with i i can hear lots of them in in that clip ah <laughs> <laughs> um well misery itself i came across that song specifically it was introduced to me by my management team and as soon as i heard it i fell in love i had the chills on my arm and um, my, you know, my soul, I don't know how to explain it, but my soul, it just felt the music. And instantly, I just wanted to recreate that song in my own way. Um, Barrett Strong has such an amazing history mm -hmm. and how his music is continuing throughout till this day is very inspiring to me, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, it's got to make you feel just uh, great to hear that tune and and know that you've got Anissa to be part of uh, part of this festival. And I got to say to folks who are listening, if you've never been downtown for this festival, I mean, you can just come down and just wander between the stages and come across these kinds of artists and incredible performances. One of the great things about the festival is you don't have to. It's not like uh, appointment entertainment. I mean, you don't have to come down for a specific artists if you just come down and hang out you are gonna you're gonna experience uh, a kind of performance and a cultural event that uh, that is except exceptionally rare uh, but chris you, you've got to have listened been listening to that and just uh, 
just beaming. You know, I have to say, if anyone questions the importance of this art form, its legitimacy in modern day, you know, all these things people say about young people not being interested in jazz, what Anissa just laid out is really why we as artists and we at the Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation do what we do. It is about propagating the art. It is about education at all levels, right up to us. We learn all the time. And, and you know, when she speaks about, here's, here's a 17-year-old talking about Diana Washington and Ella Fitzgerald and being inspired and, and feeling connectivity with um, the great American music and uh, finding her own path through that. This is this is very high-level thinking stuff. It's creative. It is what propels our cultures for thousands of years. And how beautiful the way, Anissa, you express that. And I will tell you, uh, Stephen, you know, I do this open submission, which is where I first heard Anissa. I heard about her, but uh, I do that blind. And when I heard her sing, I, I absolutely thought it was somebody further along in their career. And, uh, <laughs> but it was wonderful. It needs to be on the festival. I don't recognize it. I've never worked with this person. Let's do it. And uh, then I find out she's 17 and she's this in, extremely intelligent, engaged, creative beautiful individual that is invested. Look, that is why we exist. That's why we do the vocal competitions, the band competitions, and the things in the schools all year, and look to make sure that then we have everything culminate at the Detroit Jazz Festival in downtown Detroit so that we celebrate how important that is and make sure, with the help of all our independent donors and all the sponsors, that we can make the big lift every year so that all our grandkids and grandkids' grandkids can be able to experience this on stage or and off stage because that is what we're all doing here on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we need to take another quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Chris Collins and Anissa Leah, and we're going to get to you on the phones and on social. Tim in Detroit, Diana on the east side will hear from you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 101.9 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now is Chris Collins, Artistic Director of the Detroit uh, Jazz Fest and Director of Jazz Studies at Wayne State University. Also with us is uh, Anissa Leah, a 17-year-old singer and songwriter who is performing Saturday at the Detroit Jazz Fest. Jazz Fest starts today in downtown Detroit and runs through Labor Day weekend. First time in three years that uh, it is live and we can all be together to experience this uh, because of the disruption of the pandemic. Lots of anticipation and buzz and energy already in anticipation of all of that. Uh, If you want to tell us what your thoughts and memories and feelings are about uh, jazz and jazz fest, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to so, to uh, Twitter and put comments there. Let's start with uh, Tim in Detroit. Tim, what's on your mind? Hi. Uh, did he say that Gary Betts was going to be performing this weekend? Chris? I'm sorry, I did not hear the question clearly. Uh, he said, the, did you say that Gary Betts is p- performing this week? Gary, 
Gary, yeah, Gary, Bar- Gary Barks is part Gary of uh, the, the hit with uh, uh, with uh, Theo Croker on Monday, September the sixth, uh, the fifth. Yeah, uh, Tim, are you headed downtown? Ask about. Uh, I don't know if it's Gary Barts or Gary Betts, but uh, the, the gentleman I've been listening to this weekend, he's a, a jazz saxophonist. Mm. And yeah. are are you headed downtown this weekend? To, oh yeah, to yeah, I yeah, definitely got to be there. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Uh, thanks for the call uh, there, uh, Tim. And uh, maybe we'll see you downtown. Let's go to Diana on the east side. Diana, welcome to the show. And thank you so much. Appreciate it. Two questions first, and then I got to say one more thing. Uh, what time today does it start? And can you buy a schedule? If so, how much is the schedule? Indeed, I'll tell you quickly, you can get all the information for free at DetroitJazzFest.org, the full lineup and schedule. Tonight, the opening night party starts at 5 o'clock. If anybody wants uh, tickets to that party that is a donation to the festival, you can get those at DetroitJazzFest.org. And then the show opens uh, about uh, 6.15 with uh, Shannon Powell from New Orleans and all of our youth from Detroit in Dr. Valade's Brass Band, which leads to the 7 o'clock performance by our residence Chucho Valdez on the Carhartt Amphitheater stage at Hart Plaza, and he'll be followed then by the uh, the Soul Rebels uh, shutting off the evening. But starting tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday and Monday, we go from about 11.30 in the morning until about uh, 10.30 to 11 o'clock at night. So that full schedule, you can get there, DetroitJSS.org. Yeah, and again, the schedule's free. The festival's free. I mean, that's one of the things that just absolutely defines this event is that everybody's welcome uh, to participate, and there there are no barriers. Uh, Let's go next to Jenny in Redford. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi. It's nice to to be here. um, I just wanted to say hi to Anissa. She knows me better maybe as Miss Jenny. I was oh my here. gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Hi! Hi! I listen to Stephen's show all the time, and I was—I knew right away when I, he said the word Anisa that it was going to be you. And I just want to say that's amazing, and I'm so glad you are still singing, and you just sound fantastic. So, so oh, wait. Thank you so much. So wait, I'm not sure we got what the what the connection is here, Jenny. Go ahead. Oh, I was Anisa's eighth grade teacher. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. So, do you remember? Do you remember her singing in the eighth grade? Yeah, we knew that was kind of part of her life, but it. She. I mean, it's middle school, so that's a hard thing to say. <laughs> I'm a professional singer, um, but she did share it with us, and we were all just blown away at the time. And I am just thrilled that she stuck with it. Wow. Wow, Anissa, that's gotta that's gotta feel really great to have your. It does. It teacher. does. I'm smiling from <laughs> ear to ear right now. <laughs> you know, one thing, Anissa, I wonder is uh, what what you're thinking about, how you're feeling in anticipation of tomorrow. Is this is this going to be the biggest performance that you've you've done so far? Most definitely. I am so honored and proud to be selected, and I want to say thank you to Chris especially for that. Um, but I am so overwhelmingly excited. <laughs> uh, it can't come soon enough. Um, I cannot wait to be able to share all my music and all my tunes with the crowd and um, be able to perform with amazing musicians on that stage. Yeah, yeah, that's gonna be that's gonna be incredible for you, and I'm sure for your. For your family as well, uh, Chris. Talk about the future of 
the Jazz Festival. I mean, we're back now in person, and mm-hmm. the pandemic mm-hmm. is no longer affecting things as much as it was before. You've got to be thinking, of course, about next year and out years and things like that. One of the things we should note, though, is that during the pandemic, uh, the need to make this uh, digital and and remote and and accessible in in different ways actually has boosted the footprint for the jazz festival it has and you know in 2020 pretty much ubiquitously all jazz festivals shut down we had invested in our streaming technology and work with you folks and and public television and others to make that happen so in 2020 we were really one of the only and we did a full Detroit Jazz Festival on four custom-built sound stages and high def out to the world, and we were we were blown away. We had over a million unique viewers uh, around the globe, and then in 2021, we had to do the same thing for uh, a number of reasons. But uh, I had my metrics team check it three times. We reached nearly two and a half million viewers in 32 countries. So we have maintained that digital connectivity with that global audience throughout the year with all kinds of programming. And this year, uh, Quest TV, Quincy Jones's group out of Paris, will be uh, live streaming uh, Friday as well to all their free outlets. And as a gift from Detroit Jazz Festival Foundation, we are live streaming all four stages throughout the weekend at DetroitJustice.org with no charge, no subscription fee. And it's also that stream uh, is going to be going uh, out on WDET. So mm-hmm. people have all sorts of ways to enjoy. And I will tell you, between the millions from uh, Quest TV and the millions from our our uh, uh, high-def streaming and then uh, the, the on-site crowd, where however you enjoy the festival, you'll be part of one of the largest uh, jazz listening crowds of such an event. It is truly global. It is truly an export of Detroit and all the wonderfulness. And of course, it's an export of jazz and great artists like Anissa to Tucho to Diane Reeves and on and on. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be uh, uh, historic in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I can't wait. And I know uh, Chris, you cannot wait because, uh, because of all of the the disruptions of the last couple of years and, and the doubts about uh, when we would be able to, to do this, but I think we all knew that this is this is an institution that was going to survive all of that disruption and and come back stronger. And I expect that uh, we'll all be talking about that on Monday, <laughs> without a doubt, Stephen. And I'll say that another just big piece of the future is we're now looking. 10, 20 years down the road to make sure we can propagate this globally and throughout Detroit and make sure those barriers stay down and everyone are welcome. And a key to that are our incredible corporate sponsors, our angel of jazz, Gretchen Bolade, who stepped up to save the festival and uh, uh, remains, uh, you know, our, our, our primary donor. But all the individual donors who give us a dollar, five dollars, buy a VIP ticket, which you can do at the website, uh, whatever, that, to help support the festival, because it's not just about this year. Yeah. Let's make sure it lasts forever. And, in fact, we have a, a text-to-give platform. You text DJFF to 243-725. It takes you to the portal. Give you a round, give a dollar, whatever you can <laughs> do, become part of the family. It makes a difference for future generations and for future artists like Anissa. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Chris Collins, Anissa, Leah, great to have you both here. See you downtown at the Jazz Festival. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's going to do it for us. Come back Monday 
on Labor Day when we're going to revisit our conversation with New Yorker writer Catherine Schultz about the infinite world of feeling lost. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you on Monday.